Life is not about finding yourself. Life is about creating yourself. Gordon Bruin joins us to talk about mindfulness and its benefit in addiction recovery and trauma therapy. He talks about getting out of the limbic system, being intentional in your thinking, and some of the tools he has used over the years, such as VIA character surveys, EMDR therapy, and Muay Thai. He delivers a recommended reading list as an extra bonus. Enjoy. Welcome to the Illuminate Recovery Podcast. We shed light on mental health issues, mental illness, and addiction recovery. Ways to cope, manage, and inspire. Beyond the self-care we will discuss, you may need the help of a licensed professional. My name is Kurt Nider. I'm a husband, a father, entrepreneur, a handyman, and a student of life. I avoid conflict, I deflect with humor, and I'm fascinated by the human experience. And I'm Shelly Mangum. I am a clinical mental health counselor, and my favorite role of all times is grandma. I am a seeker of truth, and I feel like life should be approached with tremendous curiosity. I ask the dumb questions. I fill in the gaps. The Illuminate Recovery Podcast is brought to you by Illuminate Billing Advocates. Make billing and collection simple with leader in substance abuse and mental health billing services. Verification and analysis of benefits, pre-authorizations, utilization management, accurate claim submission and management, denial and appeal management, and industry-leading reporting. Improve your practice's cash flow and your ability to help your clients with Illuminate Billing Advocates. Today, Kurt and I have the privilege of meeting and talking with Gordon Bruin. He is a clinical mental health counselor. Um, He is licensed in Florida and Utah. Uh, He specializes in mindfulness training and really focusing on the the, uh, strengths um, and working with his clients based on their strengths and overcoming overcoming addiction issues, anxiety management, depression, and trauma recovery. Um, Gordon has just recently retired um, as the clinical director out at Suncoast in Florida, Suncoast Behavioral Health. He's um, previously been the the clinical director at Unique Foundations in Lehigh, Utah. Um, He's been a program service manager at the Utah County Department of Substance Abuse um, in Utah, and then also a clinical director at Sitka, um, Alaska in prevention and treatment, and now is very happy to just um, kind of part-time work in his private practice. So Gordon, thanks so much for being with us today and being willing to share your story. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. It's exciting, and I know you've been in the industry a long time. Maybe just catch everybody up on, on kind of how you ended up in mental health treatment and substance abuse. So um, picking up kind of where I left off, left sports, knew that wasn't going to be the be all and end all like most kids growing up their dream. And so it was quite a journey for me to end up in the field of mental health. It, it literally took me 14 years and seven, seven different universities before I finally graduated with my master's in clinical psychology with a specialization in addiction studies number of reasons start stop i'm gonna i'm gonna go into computer science i'm gonna do this that it it is a process of discovery for me and i finally just you know i love working with people and i'm really um i don't really have a recovery story myself 
I just have, I have family members, cousins and stuff who struggled with some pretty severe addictions and I loved them to death and I, I just saw them suffering and I'm just was interested about how the brain worked and why people couldn't just stop doing things. So my very things that were hurting them. So my very first job as I was going to graduate school was at a methadone clinic out in the San Francisco Bay area. And I remember my first client, you know, I sat down with him and I, I, I you know, I think I'm going to ride in there with my white horse and just save all these people. And I'm just going, dude, what are, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you putting needles in your arm? It, this is just crazy. You see, it's destroying your life. He goes, yeah, man, you're right. You're right. Uh, I know. Okay. So let's set some goals, you know? And so we set some goals and I, I thought, man, that's just an amazing, amazing session. I'm, I'm, I'm where I need to be. Well, 15 minutes late, you know, I'm committed. I'm never going to do this again. Right. <laughs> and 15 minutes later, he's out in the parking lot with a needle in his arm. And it, and it's just like, man, I'm just going, what is driving this? So it just, it just, I just took a deep dive into to spending the rest of my career really studying the brain, particularly the, the and when I came to Argosy a number of years ago, I think it was talking about the two-part brain, a lot about the limbic system, the survival system, fascinating part of the brain where the three prime directives are survival, I'm going to keep you alive, it's a type of brain that's largely functioning in a lion or a tiger, and I do that by avoiding things that are painful. That's physical pain or emotional pain. I'll do whatever I can to get you away from those things. And I do that by searching for something that's pleasurable. And also the pleasure centers are located in the limbic part of the brain. And it's just, and then it started all to, to make sense to me that really we have two parts of our brain and this limbic system, the survival system is driving kind of subconsciously about 90% of our behavior. And then you add trauma on top of that as we go through our lives and we experience really, really difficult things, it started to make sense to me because, and then I started to have a deeper love and compassion for those who are struggling with addiction because they're not bad people. They are simply trying to take care of themselves and they, whatever will do it, drugs, alcohol, illicit sexual activities, any of those things that can help relieve that anxiety and pain that survival system is driving them for like a lion or a tiger is searching for food. It's that powerful. And so that kind of led me to, you know, the study of mindfulness. Well, how do we manage this part of our brain? If it's so dang powerful and just, you know, positive affirmations and this, that, and the other, it just like that limbic system just totally, you know, bowls it over. So I, I have a, a, a friend out there in Utah. Um, Hugh Vale is his name. He runs, a, he runs a place called Mustang Medicine, where he actually adopts wild Mustangs and then he gentles them. And so I've been in the pen with him. I've watched that happening. And it's like, what an amazing metaphor for what we're trying to do to ourselves. And so we use the horse as a representation because they're all limbic they're survival they don't trust anyone and especially a horse that's never seen a human being they look at us as predators but the way we deal with that horse in a pen you know the way we respond to every little flinch every micro tell that that horse does and if we do it in the appropriate way you can very quickly get up to that horse and be petting it 
sitting on it, lying on it. And it's like, it's in that we have to do the same things with ourselves, but learn a system, a language that can do that. And one of the things that I'm, I'm just absolutely convinced of is that we are not taught how to think in a positive, correct manner. We're not, we're not taught that anywhere. We're not taught what mindfulness is in schools. In my opinion, that should be the most critical class in starting in kindergarten. What is mindfulness class? We're going to spend 10 minutes and we're going to box breathe. You know, if you, if you study some of the United States Special Forces guys, uh, Mark Devine, Tom Shea, those guys practice simple breathing exercises on a consistent basis to learn how to keep themselves calm rather than, than being, you know, over emotional. And, I, and there's another wonderful book. I, I'm an avid reader. I love a book called Relentless. It's by Tim Grover, who is the, was the personal trainer of, of Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and talks about how emotions have a tendency to make us weak. If we, you know, the, the more your emotions get involved in things, man, the, the less productive you are. And so to, to me, it's really come down to these six words. And I encourage all my clients to memorize these six words. And it simply is this. Life is a matter of attention. Life is a matter of attention. And if we look at the true meaning of mindfulness from my perspective, and I think we've We've so overused that words in the last number of years that when, when you hear the word mindfulness, it means something different to almost everybody. But to me, this is mindfulness. It's practicing and strengthening one's ability to keep the mind focused on a worthwhile, predetermined goal. And a number of wonderful, wonderful books out there right now. Essentialism by Greg McEwen, um, Indistractable by Nir Eyal, Atomic Habits by James Clear. All fantastic books that can help, help with these type of things. But mindfulness, in, in my mind, is strengthening a person's mental capacity to stay what the, the Navy SEALs refer to as front sight focused. It's the most difficult thing to do. And, and this is where I, I go into kind of the strength stuff. I don't know if you've heard of the VIA strength survey, VIA character strengths, but it's it. You, you can go online and um, take a free survey. And how this all came about, um, Martin Seligman, who is the father of positive psychology, he wrote a book called Learned Optimism. And he... Um, he was commissioned um, to lead a group of 55 scientists to go scour the world in different cultures to find out what is positive and good in the cultures. So they go to a tribe in Africa, they'd go to the Alaskan natives, uh, uh, up, you know, up way high in, in, in Alaska and Europe. Anyway, it, took a, it was a three-year study. And the results of that study came up with what's called the, the VIA strength character, 24 character strengths. And what they did 
is that they identified 24 or what was it six virtues and 24 character strengths that are universal among all cultures that when practiced increase a person's ability to thrive in life without ever inhibiting another person's growth and so you if you go on and take this free survey it's been researched it's validated it will give you a free printout of your your 24 character strengths in order and then the research clearly indicates that if you are are spending your time on those things that you're really good at you have a greater tendency to thrive in life rather than simply survive and it kind of goes back there's a I remember Henry David Thoreau says the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation, right? So most people are just simply, if you're not proactively, or if we are not proactively choosing what we want to become and how to become, something or someone else is doing that for us and we're just responding to the environment around us. So mindfulness for me is that we we own our power to choose and we take a step back and figure out what it is that we want to become. And then that starts with the vision. If you don't have, there's another great book out, um, Start With the Why, Simon Sinek. If you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, then it doesn't, it doesn't really matter what you're doing, right? It's like, it's like the classic uh, um, Alice in Wonderland story with the Cheshire cat, right? You're familiar with that. Well, which road should I take? Alice says, and the Cheshire cat says, well, it all depends on where you want to go. She says, well, I don't really care. And he says, well, it doesn't matter. And, and, and most of us are familiar with that statement, but so much of life, as I am now older and able to reflect, it just seems like, wow, so, so much of it is that we, we're kind of in survival mode and we've got to figure out a way to navigate through life but we're doing things that we feel we have to do but we don't really want to do and i just think there's a way to change that and and i i really encourage people to to look at their strengths start using that as a filter so see things in a strong way my my son and i have a 20 28 year old son who um he has his own own story of, of healing and recovery from anorexia. Just just love him to death. But he's he's taken that and used that energy and become a bodybuilder. And he he's really like a world class bodybuilder. And so we're going to part of what I'm going to do in retirement is work with him on a site that's called icstrong.com. But we and learning to to teach people. Um, kind of the stuff we're talking about to see things in their strengths rather than focusing on their weaknesses because we, the, the, and as we do more research, well, I mean, the research that we know of is, is that the bulk of our thoughts by nature tend to be negative. We tend to focus on those things that might harm us. And we remember, and trauma, Another one of my uh, one of the books that was life changing for me was Dr. Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps the Score. Don't know if you guys have heard about that, but that was a New York Times bestseller. And uh, when I worked at the Unique Foundation, we were able to invite him and to come out and he spent a couple of days with us. So I got to, you know, get to know him a little bit and pick his brain a little bit more. And 
I, I just think that's a classic book. I know he, he said that's 40 years of his life and it took him 10 years to, to write that. And, and it's such a well-written book and it, it just really outlines what I have seen in clients who, who have struggled with unresolved trauma that you literally become stuck and frozen. And so in the healing part, one of, one of the things that I found that was the most fascinating to me was introducing martial arts, a form of kickboxing, Muay Thai, to adult female survivors, specifically for, for adult female survivors, because women are never taught really to fight, fight back. And so they're, they're afraid of their strength or they don't want to do it. But as I, I did it with over probably 1,500 um, survivors at the retreat. And, and it, it, this, there's one statement in, in uh, Van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps a Score, that just resonated with me. He said this, he says, imprints of the past can be transformed by having physical experiences that directly contradict the helplessness, the rage, and collapse that are a part of trauma, thereby regaining self-mastery. And if we could create a safe environment to where these ladies would actually have the courage to stand up, put boxing gloves on, and then we, we lead them through the, the punching and the kicking, Oh my goodness, I, I saw some of the most amazing transformations of getting the body involved. And so they, many of them said, I've been in therapy for years and, and I've never experienced any, this was the icing on the cake. This is the one thing I needed to get my body because as Dr. Vanderkolk says, we become stuck and frozen sometimes and we just replay those tapes over and over and over again. And so you're constantly living in this state. So and, and, and our physical body is the essential part of our life. And so we have to take care of it and the body keeps the score. And so the body, if you're constantly in stress and anxiety, then you have those stress hormones, adrenaline, cortisol, epinephrine flowing through your body as if a lion or a tiger is right in front of you, but it's not, the body begins to break down. And so many of the survivors that we had come to our retreats they were not doing well physically. They just, they weren't healthy at all. A million different issues. And, and some of them, um, one, one of the individuals that, that came, she came in a wheelchair. And it's like, you know, she couldn't even walk, but she wanted to get up and try Muay Thai. And so she actually stood up and did it and punched and kicked and stuff like that. And when she left the retreat, she was walking. She was, she got up on her own and walked. And, and that was such an interesting story that um, we, we were asked to go on the doctor show out in, in, in L.A. And we did a little segment there with her and, and where she says, yeah, I and she had like, I can't remember. She said she had three or four active diseases in her body and two of them were in complete remission as as she continued to move forward. Another, another thing with trauma recovery that, I, that I've had um, experience with is the EMDR therapy. That's amazing. I just, I, I've, just, I've just seen miraculous things. In about 85% of the clients that I've done it with, I've seen things that I think that would, would be like miraculous. I mean, the speed at which change occurs 
contradicts the rational notion of time because we've been taught for so long that, yeah, you're going to need to be in therapy for a number of years for this thing. And I, you know, it's very costly and it's, and I just think we can do a better job. Mm -hmm. and, right. Yeah. Gordon. No, I mean, you bring up so many, I mean, I'm sitting here on the edge of my seat going, wait, I gotta, I gotta ask him <laughs> when you, when you're on the mat with these women doing martial arts, um, I've done, um, carpet work, I think's what, I don't know if that's an official term, but carpet work where you actually, you know, physically hit or physically reenact things where you are empowered. So I'm, I'm wondering as you're there doing these martial arts with these women, how much processing, how much tears and, and actual processing is happening in that, in, on that mat? It's a great question. Tons. And that's why we have to so so we started the retreat on monday monday night we would educate the ladies in what's called this is trauma in the brain this is what's been happening to you kind of the stuff we're talking about explaining about the limbic system and all that many of them for the first time in their life go i've been in therapy for a number of years and no one's ever explained this this way before this makes sense to me and then we say it's part of the recovery here's the things that we're introducing to you and on wednesday we're going to introduce you if you choose always has to be by choice. Never. It's just, if you choose to participate in this, we do what's called Muay Thai. This is what it's about. So gave that quote imprints of the past can be transformed, blah, blah, blah. And, and, uh, explain to them and probably eight where at the beginning of the retreat, you'd probably have 5% of them say, yeah, I'll go try martial arts. But on, on that Wednesday, probably 80% of the survivors came and tried it and, and learning to stand with them. That's why if you're not trauma sensitive, you can create some problems doing it. It's kind of like I was talking to Bessel van der Kolk and, and he says, you're actually doing that at the retreats. I said, yeah, you talked about that in your book. I <laughs> says, we're, we're, we're actually, we're actually doing it. He says, well, I talked to my wife. You know, and she does some stuff back there too. And, and she says, I would never do that. And then he looked at me and, and smiled and said, but I would. And I go, oh, I, well, we've just been doing it. I've done it with well over a thousand ladies now. And it's just been remarkable. I've never had one. I've had some experiences where it wasn't the thing for them, but not a real negative experience. So one of the first times doing it, I'll tell you what happened to, to your point. And going, I have no idea. You know, I've just been practicing martial arts probably for two years myself. And then I read it in a book. I go, let's introduce this at the retreat. And so I was standing for one, 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 one gal. Um, and I said, this is what we do. So I hold mitts. And then she and just show them how to punch, do the, the left jabs and then crosses and uppercuts and hooks and just show them all that. And it, and it makes a popping sound as you're, as you're throwing a punch, it, you know, it makes a sound. So she started in pretty strong and I said, I'll meet you wherever you're at. You're in charge, but it's not about being angry. It's about managing and directing your energy on point on focus to take your power back. But if I see anyone totally going out of control, I said, no, 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 then you can become addicted to anger. That's not, that's not what we're doing here. We're helping you reclaim your power. And so she started and she pop, 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 pop. After about eight hits, she just goes, <gasps> I'm having a panic attack. And she stood up and I'm going, oh boy, you know, not sure what to do myself. And I said, okay, just breathe. 
just breathe. And then they did some what's called yes sets to get someone grounded. Say, you're here in Utah. You're at a retreat. Feel your feet on the ground. Notice there's a lot of people around you who love and support you. And, and she was able to do that. And I go, is this just too hard for you? Do we need to stop? And she says, yeah, this is just too hard. And I go, okay, let's stop. And then she says, no, I don't want to. And so there we were stuck. I'm standing there. She's standing there. I have no idea what to do. And, and talk about being vulnerable and allowing yourself to be there, but caring for this person and the process you're engaged in. And then she said something that made all the difference in the world. She says, it's the sound. The mm -hmm. sound triggers me. And then she told about some of what she went through and sound was associated with it. And then I had a thought and I said, okay, hi, hey, how about we just do this? You throw your punch super, super, super slow, but let your arm do what it wanted to do left and right. And when you hit my mitt, you just touch it. There's no sound. And she smiled and says, I can do that. And so she did that letting her body go through the motions of taking her power back, unfreezing those cells. And then after about eight or nine times, she kind of crouched down and she looked at me. I'll never forget that look. And she says, I want to hit a little bit harder now. And I says, I'll meet you wherever you're at. And then she was able to manage and direct her energy. And just that was like 45 minutes of, of rebirth. And when and when she was done with that, she says, this is the very thing that I that I've been missing. And many of the participants that we did that with, when they went home, they continued on with this as a regular part of their life. We also also introduced yoga. And for many, yoga was the first time they flooded with feelings and emotions because they were able to, to feel their bodies in different ways and acknowledge the stress and the it's always been tight in my shoulder or my chest or wherever. And yoga has a way of releasing some of that and helping, helping them become more in their bodies, not dissociated so much because many survivors of trauma dissociate. I mean, they, which simply means I'm not comfortable being here in my body. It's not safe. So they go anywhere else in their mind, but that's not a good way to live because you have to drag your body around with you wherever you go. Well, Gordon, as I'm, I have this, 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 this question I've been asking myself for quite some time, as I listen to all of these different approaches, you know, the approach of EMDR, the, and as I'm listening to you, I'm hearing a little bit of prolonged exposure going on there. There's a little bit of, of the movement, right? The somatic work is happening. And, and when someone is moving, EMDR is happening too while they're, you know, while they're processing. I mean, that's where EMDR came from is someone taking, you know, taking a walk, Shapiro taking a walk and, and going, wait, something's happening here. I'm processing. And so what, what my question is, is do you see all of these different approaches as more of tools to help manage what's going on in the brain and the way the brain stores that trauma and the way that the body manages and stores that information. They're all just tools around helping somebody get it unstuck. Right. I mean, that's kind of how I see it, but you tell me your approach and your thoughts. No, no, I, th I think you're spot on with that. And that's, that's an order. I, I love a new buzzword that's going around in the business world. There's a business member that came up Talib. And he uses the term anti-fragility, becoming anti-fragile. I love that concept. 
So if you think of the word fragile, it broken, cracked, weak, can't deal with thing, resilient is that oh, we'll, we'll keep being resilient. I'll bounce back to where I was. Now, anti-fragile, think of that. He, he uses a lot of different examples of businesses that completely crumble. And then from that tragedy, they explode into something far, far greater. So this, this term anti-fragility is, I just love the concept and focusing on strengths. It's like, no matter if you have this mindset, no matter what happens to me, I'm going to come back stronger because of it. I'm not just going to be resilient. It's not about just surviving in life. Too many people are just surviving and going from check to check or from anxiety and depression. And I just, I just think we can do a better job of learning to thrive a little bit more and to be more fully engaged. Now, no question that um, I use this statement. We don't have to plant weeds. We don't have to plant weeds. Weeds just grow. So if we are trying to develop a beautiful mind and trying to, to practice mindfulness on a consistent basis and like create this beautiful garden, you have to tend to those things in, in, in a regular basis in a garden and weeds will just pop up. That means negative things are going to pop up. Negative thoughts are going to pop up. That's not the issue. But, but there was a concept paper. It's uh, from the founder of the VIA website. His name is Neil Mayerson. And in that concept paper, there was a paragraph that I think he just nailed it to me. Sometimes, at least this has been my experience in life, I'll read a whole book and I'll find one or two paragraphs that's like, that's it. And I could just almost throw away the whole book <laughs> other than those two paragraphs are so powerful. This is one of them for me with that whole concept paper as it relates to mindfulness. Let me just review that with you if I could. It says, it is now time to be determined about nurturing widespread positive psychological mindedness, in particular, our capacities for virtuousness. As it has been noted that our brains are wired to pay greater attention to negative events than positive ones. And then he gives the research behind that. So it may also be that the impulse driving our character strengths response is considerably weaker than our survival response. I absolutely believe that's true. This means that we should expect that efforts to strengthen this response will need to be especially substantive and sustained. We need to appropriate much greater efforts than we have to date. So when we, so when we talk about mindfulness, usually you'll, you'll hear things like, oh, I practiced mindfulness for five minutes this morning or 10 minutes this morning or 15 minutes this morning. My question is, well, then what are you doing for the rest of 23 hours of the day? You, you see what we're dealing with? And even those short periods of time of practicing that mindfulness increases a person's uh, mental health in a significant way. But imagine if we were to to develop a system, a thinking pattern based on your own worthwhile predetermined vision and goals in life of every hour you're checking in with yourself. Every hour, let's stop and box breathe for two minutes every hour, every 15 minutes and refocus on what, what, why am I doing what I'm doing? 
Everything goes back to this why. I'm doing this because I'm striving to be this. I want to make a difference in the world in a positive way. That's why I'm doing this or that or, or whatever in a family member's life or something like that. But, but when Mayerson says, I think we just we need to up the ante, I think it's time for us to do that because we live in a world that, that is, is um, after our attention. Everything on social media, whether it's TikTok, Instagram, whatever, it's just like, it's interesting with TikTok. I think they, they, the, the research is that people generally can keep a person's attention for eight seconds. And so they, so that, that's why TikTok is so powerful because people get bored that quickly. So that they're just quick little videos and you go from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, because it's, it's like drug on the brain. But, but is that not just draining our energy if we're spending all our time doing that? What, what is your worthwhile predetermined vision and goals for life that we, it's kind of like a statement, George Bernard Shaw, the playwright, he says, life is not about finding oneself. Life is about creating oneself. Or I just love Michelangelo when he says, every block of stone has a statue inside of it and it's up to the sculptor to find it. Life, life, we have to make things happen in our life. It's not just going to come to us. And there's so many people sitting around, well, why aren't I, do, where's my blessings? Where's this, that, and the other? It's like, we have got to create it. Mm -hmm. And we, we create it by our focus. And the more we can stay focused on something, on our vision, if, first of all, we have to create the vision of what it is we want and figure that out. And sometimes that's a process. Like I told you, my experience trying to figure out what I want to do for a living, that was 14 years in seven different universities. So I, you know, and, and you hear these things, never quit, never give up. Nah, I quit six times. I quit school six times because it wasn't working and it didn't feel right to me. And it was the best thing I could have done until something else can. So sometimes we just need to quit things rather than this. You know, the perseverance maybe is overrated if it's keeping us stuck in a place where we don't want to be. Just be honest with yourself. This place stinks. I'm going to move on and do something else. And it's, it's okay to do that. And it took Hello. me years to do that because I come from, you know, the work ethic of my father was like, you just go out and work 12 hours a day. That's the old school, right? And never taken a day, a sick day in 60 years of work. Sorry. I mean, you had a question, Curtis. Sorry. No, we're here to talk to you. You're good. Um, I think it speaks to the mindfulness that you naturally had at that time, right? Because now looking back on your career, it's an obvious intelligent decision, right? It got you to where you are. Alternatively, you could have been stuck in some other career where you would have been miserable and never made a change and never made you know a difference for other people or whatever. I can imagine that during that 14-year period, your family probably wondered what was wrong. You know, your wife might have wondered what was wrong somewhere along the way. Like it requires a lot of mindfulness about yourself, right? Some emotional intelligence about knowing when it's not a good fit, right? right? I mean, that had to have been challenging at the time, right? Oh my gosh, so much. Yeah, no, my parents, my, they just kind of looked at me and scratched their head and go, okay, what are we going to do with him now? And I remember sometimes, and then when I went back to school the last time, and I, and I give my wife credit. I have a, just the most amazing partner. She truly has been a blessing in my life. I remember I'd be, I'd be working full time at the methadone clinic and going to school full time. And I just would go on walks on Sundays. I just can't do this anymore. I just can't do it. 
I can't do it. It's too hard. And she'd go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then Monday would come and she'd say, get up, get your shoes on, go. <laughs> you know, because, be, because I, I knew, I knew that finally when I got in my last program at John F. Kennedy University out in, out in, in the Bay Area in California, I go, no, this is, this is what I want to do. This is it. I didn't have any questions after that. But every time I started school and I was going down a path, it just it just felt wrong. And I couldn't explain. I go, wait, but I'm going to school. This is a good thing. I'm so confused. It just it just that the stars didn't align. I don't know how else to say it. So to your point, it was like, I just have to be true to myself and and come what may. I, I hope my wife still stays with me and encourages me. And I hope my parents don't give up on me. And and they did because they loved me and they were just they were just so patient. But it was but I was always out doing something. So I didn't just stay home. You know, so I'd go out and work and usually I was working two or three jobs doing whatever I needed to do. But it always came back. There was this. Here's the challenging thing inside of me. I always had that feeling driving me. You need to go finish your education. Well, wait, I've already quit five times. You need to go finish your education. What? You know, so I just I just I just kept kept trying something else until it all fit. And now I understand why. And all those experiences were, were extremely valuable to me. But in the time, I just, I just couldn't, I just couldn't see the forest for the trees. It's like, oh my gosh, life is so confusing. I don't understand this. But now as I'm, I'm sitting here reflecting on my life, starting, you know, retirement, so to speak, and just doing the stuff I totally love. It's like, it's kind of making sense to me now. But but it takes time and there there is it, it, it's, it's just there's something to the old you know cocoon story you you know you i'm sure you've heard the same story that the cocoon struggling on the ground if and you feel compassion for it, you want to rip it open so he can fly away but the only way for that that butterfly to end up sustaining flight it gains its strength through breaking out of the cocoon and and if and, and if you interrupt its journey, it, it it's not it's not going to be what it could be. And so I've learned I've learned and gone kicking and screaming, but I've learned to appreciate the struggles that I've had in life because it's it's brought me to where I am today. And I I couldn't be happier right now. I feel like the most blessed man on the planet. And somehow we've made it through. I've got four kids. I love my kids. They're all great. We're all still talking with each other. They all, they all still talk to each other and we get together, you know, I mean, some are in Utah, one's in Idaho, but one's here in Florida, two or two are here in Florida, but I don't know. I, I, that's life. It's been, a, it's been an incredible journey for me, but, but uh, my life's good. I'm a blessed man. Well, and I think that's um, that perspective comes from living the exact principles that you're talking about. And, and as I was listening to your story and, and, you know, these women who you're sharing with them how this how the brain works and how it functions and why they're experiencing, you know, why their body is reacting the way it is based on the trauma that they've experienced. There is so much of that, uh, you know, understanding that takes the shame out of it for them. Oh, this is normal. Oh, this is the way bodies respond to trauma. This is this is how this works to where they can look at it and not be so shameful that they want to just run away from it. Right. So it seems like that's a pretty basic piece that people need to know. They have to know how their brain and body is working. Otherwise they, they can't let go of the stuff because they think it's, they think it's about them. Right. They think yep. that they are bad. Yep. That's exactly right. You just absolutely nailed it. And, and it, what it does 
is that it validates them. If someone will just listen to them and this is my story without judging and criticizing and then explaining what happened. Like, like for example, I had a, a client I've been working, working with online. We went through the same thing. I, he told me of his childhood and, and I go, Oh my gosh, that is absolute abuse. What you went through, it's trauma. And then, so I was on a session early with him today and, you know, he's in his, he's in his fifties. And he said, I said, well, so how was your last week? He said, I had a major breakthrough last week after our session. And I saw your reaction to my story. It was the first time in my life I was able to go to my wife and say, you know what? I think my father abused me. My therapist just, he, he, his rea I saw his reaction to what I told him and she goes, I've been telling you that for years. And it's, it's like, but there's a defense mechanism where we protect the perpetrator. But it was like a major breakthrough from him to your point, Shelly, that it's just like, just listen to me and validate me. It's true what I went through. This is true what I feel. And there's something that happens. There's a mental shift when that happens. It's like, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. This is how I should feel. I should. And then, you know, a lot of times I say, and then I start to feel anger. You should feel anger. You should be, you should be so angry because that is wrong. That should never happen to a child. That should never happen in this situation. That is wrong. You should be angry. That's, that's righteous anger. It's good. And now what, what you do with it, you know, and then, and then working, you know, you don't want to go crazy with it. Cause then you, you know, it's not, that's not good, but, but acknowledging it, but that acknowledgement piece is so powerful. The education piece and the acknowledgement piece, those two things are transformative. They can be. And then, you know, if it's deep, deep trauma in that survival part of the brain, then somatic work on a consistent basis, taking your power back, EMDR therapy. Um, but, but I think, I think there's, there, there comes a point that after we've told the story that we don't keep going back over and over and over again with it, that that's when we, okay, we know what, we know what happened. Let's write our letters. Let's do whatever we need to do to process it, to put, to shine the spotlight on it. That's ugly. And, and, but let's not keep going through the same story over and over again, because then you go right back there in your mind and you just re-traumatize yourself. It's time to move forward. But to, to point, it's like we've, we've not had a system to help people know how to move forward in their minds. That's where I think the strengths focus, kind of the call to action is that we need to do a much better job of practicing, focusing on our strengths rather than our weaknesses. I agree a hundred percent. And, 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 in, and it's like you said, right? Our, our time is being asked for in every aspect of our lives, right? We have more information flowing in front of us in any one moment than has ever happened in the, in the history of the world. And so how do you decide where you're going to put your attention if you're not very intentional and, yeah. and deliberate about what that's going to look like? Um, it, yeah, just incredible. I'm wondering... As you talked about the the via strength survey that you have people take, how do you incorporate that into a treatment session with them? Great, great question. So, for example, the individual I was working with today, what are your top five strengths? 
So he listed his top five, five strengths. So how are you going to work on this core strength? What three things are you going to do before noon today that can, that can show your courage and, you know, or being brave, dealing with a difficult situation that you've been avoiding? How can you do that in an appropriate way? Um, how, how can you use humor today? That's another strength. Humor is a powerful way. We've got to laugh more. We take ourselves so, so seriously sometimes. And humor is a great way to kind of reground and breathe. So the well-rounded person has that humor part of them. And then sometimes it's the strengths. So you, we just constantly talk about them. So it's, it's what, so tell me about your strengths. Tell me what you did with fairness this week. Tell me what you did with forgiveness this week. Let, we want to improve, you know, one of, one of yours is on the lower echelon of your numbers. Well, let's work on self-regulation -regula this week. Or what did you do this past week? So it's kind of the, the filter of questions go through strengths because weaknesses, they'll normally come up. Like I say, you don't have to plant weeds. They just pop up. And so to mindfully go, this is what I'm focusing on. I also really do encourage all my, all my clients to practice breathing exercise consistently like box breathing, because that's one way that the prefrontal is managing the deeper part of the brain by your directing. And it's like taming the wild horse because we, what do you mean? You're holding your breath and you go, you can, so box breathing, it's just, so if you picture a box, you inhale to a count of four, you hold to a count of four, exhale to a count of four, hold to a count of four, just like a box. And notice what happens in your mind as you're trying to do that, how the mind will try to distract you and, and you just bring it back to the breath. That's, that's a form of mindfulness because anything that we do to practice mindfulness is strengthening the prefrontal part of our brain, the rational, logical, cognitive part to manage. And I don't like the word control, but to manage and, and join up with the limbic, the deeper regions that are impulsive and stuff like that. Because we don't want to try to beat ourselves to death. It just doesn't work. And if you're struggling with an addiction, if you go, oh, I'm so bad, that's so bad, I'm not going to do that anymore. Well, you're just pretty much guaranteed you are going to do it. Mm -hmm. Because it, that's just the way it works. So you have to gentle yourself. Oh, of course, I'm going to have these triggers for alcohol or this or that or the other. That's how my limbic system works. There it is. It's just doing its job. I, I'm not mad at it. I'm not angry. Of course, I have these triggers. Now, mm -hmm. what I choose to do with it, you know, and, and, and if you have a slip, you just you, you don't beat yourself up too much. You hold yourself accountable. What can I learn? Did that work? You know, with any type of addictive stuff, substance, it literally is one time is too many and a thousand never enough because it never really works. It, it, it does temporarily, yeah. but we're not, we're not focused. That's not the focus of thriving in life. It's like what lasts? Well, and I think we take away that the whole idea that making an error or what we think or perceive as an error is exactly how we get where we need to go. Um, it's like Edison, right? How did you figure out how to create the light bulb? Well, I did it, you know, over 200 times wrong. Right. You know, I figured out 200 ways that didn't work and, and that's how I figured it out. And so it, it's in the journey and the mistakes and the errors and the, you know, the trials that we learn and we grow and it's, it's in there where we enjoy that journey that makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, Matt, totally agree. So trying to just enjoying the journey 
and and you know holding ourselves accountable but not beating ourselves up too much because we're, we're none of us are perfect or anywhere near it but but we can make we can make significant improvements of thriving more in life as we're working on self-determined predetermined goals that are worthwhile according to our vision that we always have a place to go back to and say ah this is this is this is what i'm this is what i'm about this is what i'm doing yep i got to pick myself up today cuz this is what i'm about yeah and that we get to choose we get to choose yeah. how we do that i love i love all of these these pieces and you know you you came in and gave some foundational pieces that you use but what you're talking about is all encompassing right we are just it's about surrounding somebody with all the resources that they need to practice being intentional about their lives, which is super powerful and super fun. And then it changes that, you know, that painful piece of getting up in the morning to make it exciting. So I love, I love your work. It's, you know, it's close to my heart and I've been very inspired. Now I'm going to go take the, the VIA strength test and see, I'm sure I've taken them before, but I don't think I've taken this one. So I'm going to go look at that and check it out. Um, Gordon, I have no doubt that others will also be fairly drawn to you and, and your approach in life. What's the best way for them to get a hold of you and connect with you? And I'm, I guess I'm assuming you're taking clients and your part-time retirement. Yeah. Yeah. You can just, you can share my email. Okay. I know it's intergold at gmail.com. Like I said, I'm working with my son on developing a new, uh, a new system and, but we'll get that going. We're in the, just the developmental stages of that. And that's the, you know, and again, we purchased a domain, icstrong.com where it's, it's focused on physical health, mental health, just all encompassing because he's that's what he's really super great at. And I love the mental health capacity. If we can join those two and just do what we can to inspire and help other people and put a bunch of resources out there for them. To, anyway, so but mm -hmm. feel free to share my email address. Would love to communicate with with anyone that's interested. And anyway, it's all good. Very cool. Very cool. Thank you so much, Gordon. Um, I, I might have to reach out myself because I love I love what you're talking about. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, thanks, for, thanks for being here and sharing with us. All right. You guys have a great day.